All right, we don't have time for any of that nonsense because we have a pop-up episode to get to. Now, this is one of those weeks in which the news necessitates a quick turnaround and a monomaniacal approach. So I give you, without further ado or adornment, the breaking news that Andy McCarthy, who was the guest on my fifth ever podcast, has revised his opinion on the topic we discussed and necessitated a revisiting of the sort that the now ghostly Luther Abel has started staging in the local badminton courts. Well, I have this week my first ever repeat guest, or at least my first ever repeat guest within the main section of the podcast. Our guest is Andy McCarthy. Andy, welcome to the Charles C. W. Cook podcast. Charlie, I'm honored. The second timer, first second timer, that's great. There you go. Well, one reason for this, Andy, (laughs) other than that, yeah. (laughs) that uh, I am, of course, a big fan, is that the topic we're going to talk about today, we already talked about once in an early episode titled FBI or FB No. And I was, at the time, and still am, an FB No. I think, as I thought then, that the FBI is irredeemable and should be scrapped and rethought, at least before it's repurposed or reconstituted. Now, you said on that podcast that you shared many of my reservations about the FBI, but you didn't hold that view, at least not as drastically as I did. But in the last week or so, I sensed you moving a little bit, so I thought I would have you back on and we would discuss what, if anything, has changed. Well, I think you're position is a lot stronger today than, you know, in principle, it's the same position, but the evidence for it uh, is stronger today than it was when we spoke about it the last time. And I'm referring to the release of the Durham report, which I think is a very good report. It's a good supplement to the information we had already. But I was certainly under a misimpression about what uh, he would produce in an important way. Uh, And I think that does tend to the argument that the FBI is not redeemable, because the only way you can really have a well-performing FBI is if people are accountable. And what I've thought in closely following the Russiagate stuff, which I wrote a book about in 2019 and have been covering it from its inception. What I've told everyone all along, Charlie, is that I thought it would be very difficult for Durham to make prosecutable cases against FBI agents or any other government officials because when you're dealing with people who are high-ranking law enforcement officials, they have so much discretion to act, that it's very hard to prove in any particular decision uh, that they were acting corruptly, especially if there are alternative 
explanations, which they there almost always are alternative rationales for why they may have acted. And for that reason, I told people, don't expect the big RICO prosecution against the Bureau. But that's not really what Durham did. I mean, he did do that to some extent. But he also, I, I, the maddening part of the report to me is he comes to the conclusion, for example, that a fraud was committed on the FISA court in connection with these applications that the Bureau made to get uh, surveillance on a former Trump campaign guy, Carter Page. And at the end, what, what Durham basically says is, yes, something happened here. A fraud on the court was committed here. The, the court was given false statements. So that is a crime. It's a pretty black and white crime. And where Durham comes out is he says, well, you know, the headquarters people have one version of events. The people, the agents who were dealing with the main informants, who would have been Christopher Steele and Igor Danchenko, they have another version of events. The special counsel's office was not able to interview Danchenko or Steele. And therefore, at the end of four years of investigating, I'm not able to say who's really responsible for this. So he's not saying there wasn't a crime. He's saying that there's no way to hold them accountable. And I think we're seeing again and again that no one ever gets held accountable. If that's where we're at, then I don't know how you fix this in its, in its current iteration. Except by abolishing the FBI or... Uh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I think that's... Uh, other than, you know, you threaten as they're threatening now to cut their budget to, you know, to make them behave better. That could work. I've suggested taking away their foreign counterintelligence mission, which I think actually would get their attention and you might get better behavior out of them. But I just think as a basic building block proposition, if you can't hold an agency accountable, then it's got no real reason to investigate or, or, or to change its behavior. And I, I'm afraid that that's where we're at. I never thought if Durham was able to establish that a crime had been committed, that after four years, he'd get to the end and say, because people's testimony and recollections are all over the place, I can't establish who committed the crime. And I can't help but think that if this was the FBI investigating some other agency rather than itself, because the, the investigators that helped Durham are, are obviously FBI agents, that the outcome would have been different. There's two steps here. I've seen a number of people who are reflexively defensive of the FBI pointing out that it's quite difficult to bring criminal charges in a case such as this, and pushing back essentially against what they see as an extension of the lock-her-up instinct. And I understand that this is not a lock-her-up sort of case, or at least it is difficult to bring criminal charges against the people who perpetrated this. But there's a second step after that, and you just outlined it, and that is, well, if this isn't criminal, it is a problem. And I just haven't seen a great deal of acknowledgement of that in the press. 
and from those who spent years selling the Russia hoax. Now, why is that? Surely this is the sort of report that should fascinate the press. This should flatter all of their self-conceptions, holding powerful agencies accountable, speaking truth to authority. I mean, surely it can't be as simple as that those who have remained silent believe that if they say something, it will help Trump, can it? Yeah, I think it. I think that is the problem. I mean, one thing that comes through in Durham's report is that the media was a big part of the Russiagate farce. And I, I think probably the closest nexus between, or the actual nexus between the, the government officials and the media was Fusion GPS, which is the outfit, the opposition research outfit that the Clinton campaign retained and that in turn retained uh, Steele to do the dossier. Fusion GPS is run by a couple of former Wall Street Journal reporters, Glenn Simpson and Peter Fritsch, and they have a network of contacts to whom they feed stories. And they clearly used that network of contacts in journalism to feed Steele's information about Trump, what turns out, of course, to be uh, false information about Trump. And that gave a big lift, not only gave a big lift to the narrative, but it in turn put a lot of pressure on the FBI and the intelligence agencies to pursue the investigation as they did, because the you know, whether they admit to it or not, the Bureau, for example, is very reactive to the media. So they were really part and parcel of this. And this is a big black eye for them. And I, what I get from them, Charlie, is that they, they think that they've been implicitly vindicated by the Capitol riot. So it's just a little bit inconvenient that they happen to be wrong on Russiagate. But I think in a cosmic way, they think the Capitol riot proves that they were right all along. Right about what? About Trump. You know, that he was just pervasively corrupt and that eventually that was going to be proved. They hoped it would be proved in connection with Russiagate, but they think in their mind that box has been checked and the rest is just (laughs) details. But that, you see, that terrifies me because I am a persistent critic of Trump. And I do think Trump is bad news, but that's not the role of the FBI. Right. We don't live in a system in which if we believe that somebody is bad news in general, that anything we accuse them of or investigate them for or arrest them for even is vindicated. Yes. And this, and what you just said now goes to your earlier point about why these government officials are so hard to prosecute the 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 big distinction that you see in trump's uh, in um in durham's report is the disparate treatment that was given to the trump campaign and the clinton campaign so durham outlines at least three instances where there were foreign powers which are not identified they're they're just called foreign regimes in the in the report but he, he points to three instances where they actually, where the Clinton campaign was approached by foreign actors who had malign intentions. 
And in those instances, what the Bureau did, because I think it was intimidated by Clinton and believed that she was going to win the election and that she would be very vengeful against the Bureau if it investigated her in an aggressive way, you know, they would sit on the information for months and then they gave her defensive briefings. Whereas with Trump, they immediately launched a full press counterintelligence investigation without having interviewed a single witness on the basis of a very tortured interpretation of a piece of information that came in two months after the fact from Australian diplomats who basically misinterpreted something that was said to them by a young unpaid campaign aide of Trump's named uh, George Papadopoulos. So basically they had no information worthy of opening an investigation. They haven't even bothered to interview a witness yet. And there are a couple of steps that the FBI is supposed to go through when it has a sensitive investigation, like it does a preliminary assessment. And if it finds, that's like kicking the tires. And if it finds something disturbing, then they're supposed to move on to a preliminary inquiry. But you don't like jump to DEFCON. I always get this wrong. Is it one or five? Whatever the, you know, maximum. I think it's one is the worst. But But you don't jump to that right out of the box. And they did it right out of the gate with respect to to Trump. Now, what we were discussing at the beginning, this is what this is how this is shown. It looks to me to be very corrupt that the Bureau treated Clinton one way and treated Trump a different way. But they have so much discretion in terms of when they open an investigation and which and when they don't, that you'd never be able to make a crime out of that. And I never thought that Durham would be able to make a crime out of that. But I think he did find crimes that he he ended up not pinning on anyone. And I do think that the reason that you're not reading much about that in the press is, again, I think they just think they were vindicated by the Capitol riot with respect to Trump and they don't need to revisit this, although it's a it's a it's a black mark for them. I want to talk about the mechanism by which reform could be achieved. But before that, if you were, and I don't mean this in a criminal sense because we've just established that it's very hard to bring that sort of case, but if you were the moral defense lawyer for the FBI in this case, and your job in the, the court of public opinion was to explain away the Durham report and to justify the FBI's decisions and behavior in this matter since 2016, what is the best argument you would forward? I think it's the argument that they've made. It's just a very poor argument, which is why it doesn't persuade anyone. I think what what Christopher Wray would say and has said is that uh, to the extent that we had people who were abusive of their authorities you will notice that none of those people work at the FBI anymore. They've all been removed. And the criticism of, on Ray, of Ray on that, I think, is that uh, they did that very quietly. So it doesn't, sen- it doesn't give people a sense that there's actually been accountability. But they can argue that they did remove all these people. And to the extent that um, FISA powers and other authorities were abused. The FBI has, over the last six years, 
and this isn't just recently, this is uh, more Ray working together with Bill Barr in the last 18 months or so of the uh, Trump administration. They did change their internal procedures with respect to FISA and what kind of information they're supposed to give to the court and what kind of backup they're supposed to uh, keep for it. And some more internal checks to try to make sure that misrepresentations don't get made to the court and that there are more rungs of uh, approval that have to be gone through so that headquarters is less. The, pr- the big problem, I think, with the, with the Russiagate abuses is that headquarters took over the investigation and ran it. So there was no supervisory structure to tell them when they pushed the envelopes too far that they were out of bounds. So they've tried to make some internal changes to make sure that doesn't happen again. So that, Charlie, I think is the best argument for them. The reason it's a weak argument is it's not like we've never had a FISA scandal before. So, you know, in the 2000s, we had a fairly significant FISA scandal because the FBI got caught feeding misinformation to the FISA court which ripped the FBI for having a, um, you know, basically a culture uh, of deceptiveness that needed to be addressed. And at that time, the FBI made all kinds of internal changes to their FISA procedures and assured everyone that this would never happen again. And of course, it has happened again. So I don't know what kind of internal changes you can make to satisfy people that something scandalous like this will never happen again when the basic thing that went wrong here is that agents took information from very dubious sources that they knew were were motivated to frame trump the person that they were was the subject of the investigation so they understood what the motives were they did not try to corroborate that information And when they filed what the law calls a verified application for surveillance authority under oath, verified meaning they're supposed to corroborate every assertion that they make to the FISA court before they put it in an application, they simply didn't do it. And they went to court and they swore to information that they had reason to believe was not accurate. Now, the procedures that I just talked about from the 2000s were not on the books when I was a prosecutor from like, you know, the early 80s until the early 2000s. But the agents I worked with all knew that you don't bring uncorroborated information that you have reason to su- suspect is false to a court and, and swear to the truth of it. So I, I don't know what procedures Ray is talking about that would have ever told an agent that that was okay. Because as far as I know, that was never okay. And that's a pretty basic concept. So I have my profound doubts that the problem here uh, is a little can be addressed by a little bit of tweaking of their regulations when it's it's sort of investigation 101. You don't lie to a court. I want to know what you think the key cause of this is. As I say, last time we argued over whether the FBI was irredeemable. You're now closer to the position that it is. But what makes it irredeemable and what is it that has led it down this path? Is it the self-selection of the sort of people who become FBI agents? Is it the people at the top? Is it 
a lack of congressional oversight. What is irredeemable about it? Because to understand that is imperative if it's going to be reconstituted, which it would have to be in some form, because there are certain functions that the FBI does fulfill that someone's going to have to do. And therefore, you're going to have to work out, well, we don't want this to happen again. In the same way as if you don't want every state-run university in the country to be an absolute hive of progressive dogma, you need to work out, well, is it the curriculum that is being set? Is it the college president? Is it that academics naturally lean to the left? What is this? Yeah, I haven't I haven't changed my mind about that since we talked about it. I actually think I do understand what went wrong here and what needs to change. And that is, I think, in the era of jihadism that began in early in the early 1990s, but really commencing with the the bombing of the World Trade Center in 93 and then hitting its uh its high point and transformative point with the 9/11 attacks the FBI in its basic ethos changed from a law enforcement agency to an intelligence agency and they are simply different disciplines and different ways of looking at the world being an intelligence agency it's very important that we have good intelligence but a lot of what an intelligence agency does is illegal in the places where it where it's done espionage is illegal in virtually every country in the world that has any kind of a, a legal system so the respect for the law in a intelligence agency is not it doesn't have the pride of place that it does in a police agency and because the objective of an intelligence agency is basically to stop terrible things from happening, but at least to to collect intelligence that's uh, that it may be illegal to gather. That's their that's their primary function. The deference that a police agency has to give to civil rights is not a priority. But this goes in one direction. I heard you make that case last time, and I think there's a great deal to it, but but you can play at being an intelligence collection agency, and you could focus disproportionately on the left. We read this week that the whistleblowers at the FBI have revealed that the FBI is miscategorizing the cases that stem from the Capitol riots in a way that allows them to inflate the supposed rise in American domestic terrorism. But that American domestic terrorism is supposedly right-wing American domestic terrorism. And the subject of the investigation that was written up in the Durham report was of Donald Trump. It wasn't of Dennis Kucinich. Why has that happened well, well, because it's in the rubric of counterintelligence, which takes in both espionage and terrorism. So that's categorically that's how that you know that's where terrorism fits into their equation. So if you're going to be a counterterrorism organization, even with respect to domestic terrorism, you're going to be an intelligence agency. In fact. You know, a lot of the scandals that we had 
in the 1960s and 1970s that led to the post-Watergate hearings and the Church Commission and all that good stuff. That was all a function or, or a result or the fallout of the FBI's misuse of its intelligence powers, which were then not under the supervision of a court. They were basically able to do it unilaterally. But it was the idea of taking these these authorities that they were supposed to use against foreign enemies of the United States and actually using them against domestic groups, which, you know, the slippery slope there is that it can easily become targeting the opposition of the incumbent government, which there was a lot of uh, claim back in the 60s and 70s is exactly what happened. Right. But when Donald Trump was being investigated, when this whole Russiagate disaster was unfolding, the incumbent government was headed up by Donald Trump. Well, when the investigation started, it was the Obama administration. And when it continued after Trump took office, I think there were two things that happened that allowed it to be maintained. First of all, it was essentially run by Obama administration holdovers. They moved out probably the two people who might have been in a position to put the brakes on it. Jeff Sessions, who had a lot of experience, was pressured to recuse himself from the Russia investigation. And Mike Flynn, who may be a problematic character, but has a lot of experience. He was the head of uh, military intelligence. So I, I think those two guys might have been positioned to ask a lot of questions about what the FBI and the Justice Department more broadly was up to with respect to Trump. Uh, but they kind of marginalized those guys. And then I just think, for, frankly, Charlie, the, the, the Trump administration was incompetent. Comey ran rings around them, and they didn't have anybody on the team who was capable of going toe-to-toe with him and demanding that the FBI show the White House what it was doing on the counterintelligence side with respect to Trump. Comey convinced them that if they pushed for that, he would accuse them of obstructing the investigation. And they didn't have anybody there, apparently, I, I think at least until Barr came along, who was sensible enough to say, this has nothing to do with obstruction of justice. The counterintelligence mission of the FBI is in support of the president's executive responsibility to protect the United States. It's not a justice mission. But they didn't have anybody in the Trump administration who was willing to take Comey on and make that case. They were afraid of being accused of obstruction. And as a result, they let Comey basically freelance, which is exactly what the Obama people hoped would happen. You know, this is exactly what the FBI anticipated in, uh, I guess it was September of 2016, when Peter Strzok, one of the main agents on the investigation, famously says that they need an insurance policy. You know, insurance policies obviously only kick in when the bad thing happens, right? And in this case, the bad thing was Trump getting elected. So the plan was to have this counterintelligence investigation in place so that if Trump got elected, he could be monitored. And that's that was what they planned to do, and that's what they did. All right, so how would we do this? Let's assume that the FBI is irredeemable and that it can no longer be 
altered or amended or saved in a way that will purge it of these systemic problems and allow proper oversight to get to the point at which the FBI was dissolved or radically reformed you would need an act of congress but one of the two major parties in this country does not seem to share the concerns that you've just outlined so you're not going to get that right correct you know you would need an act of congress to do this because i think what would happen or what would have to happen i would reduce the fbi to its police authorities the reason I think they can be trusted with those is not that I think they're great guys or that there isn't some history of misconduct. There's, there's police misconduct in every police force. The reason I think they're more trustworthy with that than the counterintelligence powers is there's a transparency in criminal processes that don't exist in counterintelligence. So everybody operates in a criminal investigation under the assumption that there's eventually going to be charges, which will result in discovery so that all the representations that the Bureau makes in the way of getting eavesdropping warrants, search warrants, arrest warrants, and the like, that all is going to be seen by defense lawyers who have an incentive to pour over it and find misconduct. And that has a, um, a salutary effect on how all police agencies do law enforcement work. The problem with counterintelligence is everything is classified. And the only due process anyone gets is whether the FBI and the Justice Department follow the rules when they go to the FISA court, because those proceedings are classified. There's no defense counsel. There's no discovery. There's no anything. And that's where we've seen there's a great temptation in that kind of a structure to abuse the powers. And that's exactly what we've seen them do. So to my mind, what has to happen, and I used to be against this in the 90s when I was working on uh, terrorism cases. But I think what has to happen is something more akin to the British system where you give the domestic security mission to an intelligence agency that doesn't pretend to be like a sort of a hybrid intelligence and police agency. You give it to an intelligence agency that has no police powers. And then Congress has to regulate what information, you know, there will be times when if, if you have uh, like MI5, MI6 in Britain, there are times when they get information that demonstrates that there are violations of the criminal law. And there are certain situations in which they're allowed to share that, but it's heavily, parliament has le heavily legislated what can be passed over the wall. So I think something like that has to happen but it's not going to happen because one of the major parties in Congress, which runs the Senate and is what, 10 votes away from running the House, I never know how to count that. You have to halve it, I think. Yeah. Whatever it is, it's close. One of the major parties doesn't want to do it. So if I'm, well, I am an American citizen, how should I think about this? Are we just destined to have this branch of government that you have come to the conclusion reluctantly is out of control and unreconstructable, out there, freelancing without any great oversight and any great consequences. I think what has to happen as a practical matter is that somebody has to run, the Republicans in particular, have to run for office 
including the presidential candidate, making this an issue so that you can argue that you have a political mandate after what you hope would be a, a victory that would give you, if not lockdown control of Congress, at least control of the White House and both houses of Congress. And then if you don't have, if you still don't have the political support to do the kind of drastic surgery I'm talking about, which I agree may not happen unless we have some catastrophic event that catalyzes that. But short of that, I think Congress has to get back to being able to use its budgetary authority to cut the FBI's budget and forbid it to do the things that, uh, that it typically abuses its powers doing. I don't see any other way around it. Am I right in assuming that we're not going to see a similar scandal to Russiagate that targets the left and thereby brings them back into the fold of FBI skepticism? I don't think it'll be something like what happened to Trump. But I think you make a good point in that events are dynamic. We don't always anticipate what the next scandal will be. If you look back at the history of the FBI prior to Trump, what you see is a lot of support from Republicans and a lot of uh, doubt on the part of Democrats about whether the Bureau's on the up and up. And I, I actually think what we've seen in the way of this alliance between Democrats and the Bureau as part of the, the administrative state seemed to pick up a lot of momentum beginning with the 1990s when Clinton supplanted the CIA with the FBI as being the government's lead agency, even overseas, where they the Bureau has these uh, legal attache offices. It, the CIA always had pride of place, along with the State Department, in being the lead government agency that, that foreign countries dealt with. Clinton started to move them out and move the uh, FBI in. That was in part an effort to try to show that we had a, a um, comprehensive enough international legal system that we could regard terrorism, which was at that time the, the major threat, that we could regard it as a criminal justice problem. And it would be dealt with uh, by police agencies working hand in hand throughout the world. I think that's changed the way that Democrats began to, or that changed the way Democrats had traditionally looked at the Bureau. And that as the Bureau became more of an intelligence agency, the Democrats seemed to have liked them better. But if you go back in history, pre-1993, say, the relationship between Democrats and the FBI was not good. And even in the terrorism era and afterwards, I would say it's an uneasy alliance. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have great confidence that it'll maintain. I think they both had a common enemy in Trump, or at least the Bureau, maybe the best spin from the Bureau's perspective is they thought Hillary was going to win and they figured they better get on board the, um, you know, do what has to be done against Trump train. <laughs> that's uh, not a good spin. <laughs> well, but that's, well, the, the other alternative is that they just on their own decided that this guy had to be taken out, <laughs> which I don't think that's better. Right, I'll, I'll uh, say it's a better spin, but it's not a good spin. No, it's not a, it's not a good spin. But all I'm saying, I, th I think so this is a long-winded way of, of saying, I think 
I'm teasing out of your question the possibility that other things could erupt, which would change the Democrats' view of the FBI. And one of the things, Charlie, that could come up is by the end of this year, we're going to have another row over whether Rule 7 or Section 702 gets extended and whether some of these Patriot Act provisions get reauthorized. What is Section 702? That's the, Basically, that's the FISA authority to collect intelligence under circumstances where the Bureau represents that it believes that everybody who's involved in, say, a communication or a string of communications are outside the United States. But what in fact happens is frequently there are okay. people who are inside the United States whose communications get swept up in that. So you could see Congress declining to extend some provisions that would have the effect of weakening the FBI, even if this wasn't part of some big effort to destroy it. Yes. Now, what I'd worry about is that it would also weaken national security. The, the what I've always the reason I've always gotten so the reason I got so interested in RussiaGate from the beginning, even though it's a very interesting political scandal, was more of a national security angle for me. What what I've always believed is that if you can't hold people accountable and agencies accountable, what Congress ends up doing as a proxy is going after the powers like the counterterrorism powers and the counterintelligence powers. And I think what people don't realize is we don't have those powers on the books because we think the, the FBI are great guys and they'll, they'll do an honest job enforcing them. We reluctantly have these powers on the books because we need them to protect the country from people who are actually trying to do harm to Americans. So I, what I worry about here, and I continue to worry about, is that in cutting back what the Bureau's powers are on account of their shabby record of abusing those powers, because we haven't been able to hold the actual abusers accountable, what we're going to do is harm the arsenal of protecting the country. And that, that to me is just, um, it's potentially disastrous, but it, at least it's wrongheaded. All right, last question. What is your sense of where the American public is on this question? Are we talking to ourselves? Is this the sort of topic that people who follow politics are fascinated by? But when you get out there, people say, abolish the FBI. Are you crazy? Is this inextricably linked to topics that the public doesn't care about? The fate of Donald Trump? the criticisms over January 6th, or is there a real potential here for a movement and for Republicans to persuade people that we have an agency that is effectively out of control? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the Bureau is still popular. It's not as popular as it was, but I think recent opinion polls still say you would not believe that there was a scandal in engulfing the FBI if you just read opinion polls. On the other hand, I think the people who care about this do punch above their weight politically, and they have influence in 
the Republican Party. They also have influence in the Democratic Party, and it's it, it continues infuriatingly to be one of these issues that ought to be addressed on its own merits, but that Trump seems to have um, glommed onto in a way that you, it's hard to disaggregate how you feel about the FBI and how you feel about what they did to Trump. You know, so I don't know. I don't know if there's enough of a groundswell. Um, I mean, I get that myself, Andy. Yeah. Even now, the number of times that I've written savage pieces about Trump, you would think that this line would have gone away. But I'm told this even now, that I only care about this because I love Donald Trump so much. Yeah, well, it does go, you know, we talked about the media earlier. Um, the media has a lot of, uh, I think they should be the ones who are accountable for this conflation with Trump of a lot of things that ought to be addressed on their own merit. And this is obviously one of them. All right. Well, I uh, think given the progression of your views on this question, the next time I have you on, you'll be explaining to me why you felt it necessary to burn down the FBI headquarters. <laughs> you'll be in an orange jumpsuit. We'll have to do it on camera. I I'm not going any further than, than recommending that <laughs> Bill Ayers be made the director. Um, <laughs> That might end up being the same thing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Charlie. And that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you to my guest, Andy McCarthy. Thank you to my guest, Andy McCarthy. Thank you to my guest, Andy McCarthy. And thank you to Andy McCarthy for listening. We'll see you next time.